Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show. That's a special opening for a special episode. There might be some new people listening in on that. Now I'm second guessing doing that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Seems a little aggressive. Oh, I am overthinking already. And we are 20, 24 seconds in. Well, okay, great. Well, we'll just edit that part out too and smoothly transition to what we're here to talk about today, which is the Big Leads Annual Sports Media Awards. We dropped these on the site yesterday and it's the culmination of a year's work for us as we try to identify the best brightest infamous in the sports media industry and capture the zeitgeist as it were as expansively as a small minor website award could possibly do and joining me in that endeavor will be ryan phillips of the aforementioned the big lead and He was the person who was given the task of kind of running point on this project in a way, you know, anytime in the business world, there's a Google document and a spreadsheet involved. You're going to need a project leader. Ryan graciously took over project leader for this particular enterprise and was happy to see it finally appear in print yesterday. Ryan, welcome in. Are you still enjoying the afterglow that comes with a TBL sports media awards drop. Uh, certainly. I think that the last 24 hours have been pretty great. Uh, I was not enjoying it over the weekend when it was all I could think about and I was stressing about it. But as you said, it's, it's a year's worth of work. And, and really we started having meetings about this in, in June. And so to see it all come to fruition and get published and, and see a response from people and, and people being happy to be honored and, and even nominated uh, really was a, a great day for us, I think, just to finally get it done. And, you know, it's our biggest, really our biggest project of the year. So it, it feels pretty great to finally get that put uh, in the hopper right before the holidays. Yeah. And I think it's the culmination of so much unseen work that goes on and just like listening to podcasts, watching television. I do think that the great thing about what we do you know, we're not the biggest staff, but it does feel like we're pretty committed to consuming as much of this stuff as possible. So we're never out there with an opinion that's really terrible because we haven't even done the courtesy of checking out what the show or topic is about, or at least trying to stay like somewhat abreast on all of that. So it is something that we start thinking about January one, we all kind of have it in our minds who is excelling. We talk about it a lot internally in Slack about pieces that we like pieces that we don't like. We're, yeah, we're always eyeballing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's always kind of the fun. It's always a fun diversion when a, when a debate pops up in the earlier parts of the year about could you make the argument that X, Y, and Z is having the best insider 
run right now. And then that becomes a debate. And there's kind of like this semi-regular temperature taking to see, okay, well, do we still think that uh, the gambling odds look like this? So if we could ever figure out a way to monetize this, I mean, obviously, you know, get people to wager on it through our good friends at WinBet, perhaps uh, that would be wonderful. I wouldn't trust me with that type of power. I think that history has shown that that usually goes south pretty quickly. So Ryan, what do you see the sports media awards as and how much pride do you take personally and how much pride do we take internally in kind of like getting them as right as can possibly be right in a subjective award giving ceremony? Well, I will say we take them very seriously. And I think that, you know, for a site that we deal in a lot of kind of comedy and silliness, we actually take this one very seriously. And, and, you know, it's six months of work minimum. I mean, it's a year's worth of consuming media, but it's six months of work. It's, you know, weeks of writing it's weeks of debate really. I mean, we have internal debates where we don't agree on what, what should happen, but the majority wins out. Uh, it's weeks of writing, you know, hours and days of editing and, and things like that. I mean, this is go, this is a process that goes on for a long time and we try and get it just right. So the fact that, you know, we do take it so seriously, it's nice to see a response to it. I think that um, they mean something to us. We, we really do take it seriously. We cover a lot of sports media on this site and we want to make this kind of project really hit and mean something and, and be meaningful to the people who win. We don't want the people who would win to feel you know, like, oh, well, you know, yeah, we want them to feel like, hey, these people who consume a lot of sports media are honoring us because they see us as as the best in our whatever niche it is. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do take it very seriously. And I think that it's one of those things that um, we have fun with a little bit. But I think that in, in the end, it, it's something that means something to all of us. Sure. And it's, you know, when we say take it seriously, you know, we're not we're not giving ourselves nervous breakdowns or anything no. it, like it's going to win the pool, the Pulitzer or anything. But the reason why it's important to try to pick meaningful winners, nominees that are worthy is because it's kind of like in line with what I see with the site's ethos is to kind of highlight work that we're really impressed by and correctly identify people who have stood out and been special that year in that process, you're always going to leave people out and that can be a bummer. Uh, so we do want to try to like give it to a deserving person in each category and hope it means something to them because really the greatest joy that I have in this gig day to day is kind of like synthesizing information being like, oh, this person's really good at that. That person's really good at another thing. This network did a really smart programming decision when they made the choice to do X, Y, and Z. Like, I like seeing how other people's brains work at work. And really, this is just a way to get inside them with the ultimate understanding of not just what we liked about them, but a new thing that we did this year was reaching out to some winners to see if they'd be gracious enough to pen about a fellow winner. And we had some great responses with that. Some we really did. thoughtful stuff that I'm sure will mean more to the award winners than our somewhat empty praise and <laughs> unneeded validation. Uh, yeah, no, I thought that the, that was a great idea to have the winners involved in, in praising other winners, because I think that that, as you said, that means even more than just us saying something. I think that, that having them uh, sort of honor other people in the industry 
instead of I because I, the idea originally was have them talk about their year and you know that can feel kind of self-serving and I'm sure they don't they're uncomfortable doing it so switching it to to have them talk about somebody else who won something is was a great idea um that that somebody came up with in a meeting and I can't remember who as is always the case we're gonna go through these awards uh we'll go bottom of the list to top to raise anticipation like any good producer would tell you to do and I think let's just riff on what comes to mind when these names are introduced into the conversation what we like about them and kind of you know volley back and forth why they ultimately got the honor in our mind so first is Jackie McMullen who was the winner of our lifetime achievement award and she has this storied and unbelievable career covering NBA basketball synonymous with Boston. She stepped away from ESPN during this year. She's continuing to do work in other areas and it's still really good. And she's constantly adapted. What about Jackie McMullen made it easy for us to make this decision? Well, she's such a trailblazer. I mean, I, you know, it's, She's done so much in her career. She's such a trailblazer. I think the one thing, the, the way I became aware of her was she became just a cornerstone of around the horn for so long. And then, you know, you learn about her background and because I'm not from Boston, you know, so I, you learn about her background and um, just somebody who did things that other people hadn't done. She was Boston Globe's first female columnist in, in 1982. She was the first woman to get the Kirk Gowdy award and uh, from the, uh Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame and I think that it's you know just that it's she has along the way accomplished so much and been such a ubiquitous presence in in the NBA landscape and and so for her to sort of you know step away and and start doing a little bit less uh I thought it was definitely the perfect time to to honor her yeah and and it could have you know it's always it's always tricky giving this one out too because you don't want to wait too long to give someone a lifetime achievement award because people should be celebrated in the moment when they do really good things or when people have this kind of collective moment where there's this reflection that goes on as it did when she left ESPN. I thought what spoke volumes about her is the outpouring of respect and admiration from her colleagues in the wake of that. I think that anytime you see that and you see that from so many different corners of the sports media world that she's touched and worked with over these years, like that type of stuff doesn't happen by accident. She has had to be incredibly tough and face adversity that so many people, she faced a level of adversity that would probably shock the layperson, uh, if it was all laid out and she's done it with grace and she's ascended to the top level and she's done that well earning, you know, the favor of people who have come in contact with her. So to me, that speaks volumes about her as kind of like an all around entity. Yeah. Just universally respected and admired. And, and, you know, there's very few people you can, you can say that about. So I thought she was a perfect winner for this one. Our next award is more of a visual medium, but it's the best meme. Meme of the year, perhaps meme of the century, Brooks Kepka versus Bryson DeChambeau. Now, if you'll remember this one, 
Brooks was giving an interview to the Golf Channel. Bryson walked by loudly speaking, making all kinds of commotion. And Brooks rolled his eyes as only an aggrieved 14-year-old could do. I thought they might never come back into his sockets. This thing just blew up. We have had so much fun making jokes about it. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're healthy because you've not been on the internet at all, apparently, in the last several months. But this one was just so enjoyable. And really, but this meme is their relationship. It's who both the guys are in it. And it speaks so much like a picture really is worth a thousand words. And this meme is, is pure gold. It's the, the thing that's amazing to me about it was usually with things like that, a couple of weeks and you forget about it. This has gone on for months and it's still, people are still using it. And it was, you're right. It perfectly sums up their feud. It's just, they're so annoyed with each other. And they just don't get along. And, and Brooks is so expressive in that picture of just rolling his eyes like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to be near this person. And um, they had, you know, it, like if we had a category for feud of the year, it would have been them and there would have been no other nominees. Like it just it sums up everything about them. Well, we had thoughts on that. If you want to see what others thought, a certain non-biased podcaster weighed in and wrote something for us about the rivalry and the meme it's it's totally right down the middle he doesn't present an argument for either side he leaves it up to people to make their own deductions i thought that was yeah really really, really good journalism that we got yeah. from the uh the mystery yeah. podcaster right there ryan yeah i thought it was great that he remained completely unbiased and and uh and just gave us a straight shoot straight shot and a straight uh straight up view of this thing For best sports television series, we have Formula One Drive to Survive. And this seemed like it was going to win the moment I heard about it. And then I knew it was going to win the moment when every single podcast I listen to, almost every writer I follow on Twitter, started simultaneously posting about F1 and how their interest in the sport had been sparked. There'd been a genesis by watching this series and I haven't seen it. It was the clear choice to me, what it does so well, or I've, what I've heard it does so well is show the human side of these relationships, distill the rivalry down or the camaraderie down to a level that we don't have access to. I feel like in American sports, largely you don't get that type of access And it for a sport that has, only one winner, but so many other storylines going on at the same time, including like which car is running, which company, what is it, which team, you know, the, te- the yeah. team drama. It's just another element to grasp onto. And I think that F1 has stayed really popular for longer than I thought it would. It doesn't seem like the fad is over. And I wonder if we're going to be looking back at this show as kind of being like something that sparked a long lasting and productive tenet kind of like in the American sports public's landscape right now. Yeah. I had no interest in F1 really. Uh, I would say during the pandemic, I started watching this show and somebody recommended it to me and it is phenomenal from top to bottom. Uh, Drive to survive is phenomenal. It covers all the rivalries, all the info you need. 
uh, you know, from top to bottom, I think it's the deepest dive into a sport that we've ever seen on television. And then when you, when you factor in the cinematography, the way they film the tracks and the way they film the action is, is incredible. I mean, unlike anything I've ever seen in, in a, a documentary setting, and I thought this year, the season three, they, they stepped it up again uh, to another level. There was a, a there's also an, an episode. Um, it was the ninth episode of the season where a, a driver had a really scary crash and people in the state uh, in the at the track thought he had died because his car just burst into flames. He wasn't coming out. And the show covers that in such a way that it's a respectful of how dangerous it was but also shows the action of removing him from the car and how he wound up being largely unscathed which is amazing but they show the concern on all the other drivers faces because these guys you know are, are in the middle of this crazy competition but there's this mutual respect and you really get a deep dive into what it means to them and, and what a crash you know how it literally scares them to death because they know that could be them and there were just some moments this season that were unbelievable and I, and I thought it was easily the best uh the best television show the sports television show that that was produced this year and and I would not be surprised if it wins the award next year too because it's just they they keep stepping up every year and there's nothing else on the landscape I think that's on this level it's such a beautiful sport to shoot and you've kind of seen that Ford versus Ferrari like I yes. think that was a big hit because people liked enjoy people really enjoyed watching the beauty of fast objects going around and around. Like, I mean, every seems like every five or 10 years, there's a, there's a hit NASCAR or indie uh, car racing movie or F1 movie, whatever, like that really props up because people are like, you know what? I just love the vibe of, of watching some racing. And if I can learn more about the protagonist, I mean, God, I mean, it's a bit of a tangent here, but I mean, that's basically like the, that's sort of like the fast and the furious. Yes. No, it's people like watching cars go fast. I mean, they really do. It's very, it's a very simple car go fast, you know, but, but it is, it is uh, visually really easy to watch and, and follow and understand. And, and here's the other thing about the sport. I mean, you know, who won at the end, there's no crazy rules. It's who gets across the line first. And, and so it's actually, while there are rules about, you know, where you can pass and what you can do or whatever. I mean, it's basically simple at the end, you know, who won, it's the guy who just gets across the line fast. Best studio show goes to NFL Red Zone. And we thought about this one long and hard about if NFL Red Zone is a studio show because it's not a traditional studio show so much, but it is. Yes, it's showing you live game action, but it's showing you live game action through the lens of what's going on in this studio. It's like this really cool, like, middle person because when you watch red zone you think of okay well scott hansen is guiding me throughout the nfl landscape this is scott hansen's narrating my story through nfl sunday it's not necessarily i'm watching a bunch of games it's i'm sharing this story with everybody else that it's that is tuning in and to me that's really awesome because they're creating something that's different than uh, a live game where you only have a limited number of, you know, you can only be at one place. This is creating something entirely new, but it's taking place in a studio where largely something of that challenge, you know, is not happening live. It's either 
previewing something or reacting to something that just happened. Yeah. Do you remember that really weird scene from one of the Matrix movies where they walk in and there's a guy just sitting there and he starts showing them things? That's Scott Hansen. I mean, that's what I think of when I see he is just telling you everything that's going on, pulling back the curtain and 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 showing you everything that's going on and, and what he does. He's one of the most impressive media members right now, I think, just because of how he does that for however many straight hours and just stands there and constantly is, is relating to the audience and, and tossing the things this, I do think this category is one of the, some of the fiercest competition this year, because there were a lot of very good studio shows from our nominees were inside the NBA. I thought around the horn had a phenomenal year and big noon Saturday really stepped up and was a big, uh, like, you know, almost a surprise how good a year they had, you know, for only being in what their second year. Um, but red zone is, is one of those things, man, where I don't watch football traditionally anymore. I watch red zone all day. And part of that is, you know, our job and, and we have to kind of monitor everything on Sundays, but I, I can't do a Sunday without it. Now, even when I, there've been a Sunday where I've been off the clock and I just throw on red zone because it has, you, you don't miss anything. You get the whole, because even if they aren't live on a game and there's a big play, they'll flash back to it. They'll, you know, so what that studio show is doing is fantastic. And, and I do agree. I think it is, a, it, it's not a traditional studio show. Studio show is usually a panel, you know, reviewing things. This is, I think it fits that category and, and is, is far, it, it had, a, had an incredible year and uh, deserved recognition for what they do every Sunday. Two biggest sports media acquisition, and this one was a laugher. Uh, this was Alabama versus Mercer here. It's Peyton and Eli Manning for ESPN. They are doing the Manning cast. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, I think the Manning cast is the new Springsteen for sports writers of a certain age, but everybody seems to love it. I've said before, it's not my favorite thing. But I do think that just like Red Zone transformed a lot of things about watching live games, this Manning cast and what ESPN is doing is going to transform how these companies are presenting games in the future in terms of branded podcast or companions with you who are following slightly the Hanson model, but kind of something that marries that with just one game. Yeah, and and you've seen ESPN sort of do versions of this before, like during the national cha- college football national championship game, they'll have a coach's cast, which is just a bunch of coaches sitting around talking football while the game goes on, and they kind of you know chop up what's going on. And and I think that Peyton and Eli Manning have taken that to another level with the Manning cast and having guests, but keeping focused on the game uh, is an interesting model. I mean, and and here's the thing: if I'm not, if I don't have a rooting interest in that game. The Manning cast is really interesting because you're getting more than just X's and O's and, 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 and the football game in a bad game. It's great, you know, because you've got another distraction. You've got them sort of talk, you know, interviewing guests and, and everything. And, and really it sounds like it's not polished, but it sounds real. And, and I, I really enjoy that. But here's the thing about the, being the biggest sports media acquisition. Peyton Manning has been the white whale for several media companies for years, trying to get him to be a broadcaster. And he always, you know, sort of demurred or turned it down. He worked, he'd done Peyton, Peyton's places with ESPN for a while, but to get him to do a game and the fact that he's doing it on his terms, you can, I mean, they would have loved to have him in the Monday night football booth. I'm sure. 
but to have him doing it in his way, the way he wants to, uh, the fact that they were able to come to terms on that and now give them something that is doing really well and people seem to really like uh, is, was a huge addition for ESPN. And all credit to Peyton, who understood his leveraging power. He got exactly what he wanted. I mean, we Omaha Productions. I mean, this guy really got everything that he wanted because he understood that he commanded that type of compensation and, and seating of editorial control. And, and it's a great thing for the audience as well, because I think that this is a far better product than Peyton Manning would be trying to be the next Tony Romo. Yeah, it just feels like he and Eli are being themselves in that whole scenario, and they're just talking. You know, it doesn't feel like it's, again, as you said, you're not constrained by being in the booth and having to focus solely on the game. It feels like, you know, almost like a conversation they would have on a FaceTime call watching a game together or something, you know? And so I think that that's what makes it attractive to some people. And people enjoy them and like their personalities and like the sort of brotherly banter they have. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's worked out really well for everybody involved. Our sports book author of the year is Mirren Fader. She wrote the great book, Giannis, his upbringing, his rise to NBA superstar and the publishing date dovetailed nicely with the Bucks superstar ascending the NBA mountain and winning the championship. So interest was sky high for it. It was a serendipitous turn of events. And it's a good thing because I read the book, the reviews were correct. It was very humanizing. It was a snapshot of this player who we knew something about, but was largely unknown. You know him from when he joined the NBA, basically. Right. We don't know the background. But we don't, yeah, we, it was just like, where did he come from? We don't know exactly the origin story. And here she laid it out so beautifully and a, a microcosm of, of how the world works and how the world can work. She showed that she understands how to tell a human story as much as a sports story. And the book was better because you walked away understanding this generational talent in a way that most books, you don't quite walk away with the same confidence that you know what makes that person tick and where they came from and what they're about. What this book made me realize is that with American athletes, especially in the NBA, especially in basketball, you hear about them, you start hearing about them when they're 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, when they're in high school and the top ranked player in their class or whatever, and, and they, they go to them, you know, go to college and in LeBron James case, go straight to the NBA and you watch them in college and you're ready to, you know, I mean, the guy I think of is, is who was the ultimate example of this in the modern context, not LeBron, but since then was sort of Ben Simmons. Everybody knew who he was in high school. He went to LSU, ESPN covered all of his games. And you have you know who this person is and what their background is, and through the that coverage you learn about their parents and their you know upbringing and all of that, and then they hit the NBA and you you have this lifelong story of them already intact. That this book made me realize we don't get that for foreign players. They just kind of show up in the draft and they're in the NBA, and you might get a little bit about their background. Oh, he was playing professionally at fifteen. Oh, cool, but you don't get their story. And, and this book told Giannis's story. And you're right. It was perfect that they, the Bucs won the championship this year. But the fact, I mean, the, the, the proof is in the response to this book. Uh, 
Miriam Fader. It's it's her first for, like trip into book writing, and it was a New York Times bestseller and and lauded everywhere. And I, I think that was this. There were some great books, the sports books this year. Matt Sold and Seth Wickersham were our other nominees. Phenomenal work this year. Um, but there was something about this book that really hit so many different levels of society and the sports, how the sports world can dovetail with, you know, issues in society. And it, uh, it, it certainly was uh, an easy choice for me. Yeah, all three of these books were so different, but so yes. compelling and, and captured the imagination in a different way. And you really kind of see how much latitude authors have and how they can make it anything that they want to be. If they can overcome the gripping and terrible challenge of writing an entire book themselves. <laughs> it's terrifying to me. Our sports media event of the year was Dan Lebetard, Lebetard and Friends Freedom Event. And this was a 24-hour marathon broadcast that announced the pirate ship's freedom sailing from ESPN into independent waters as... Levitard and former ESPN boss John Skipper left to form Meadowlark. And this was kind of the announcement of this is what it's going to be from now on. These are our new cast of characters. This is what we're going to be doing. Here are, at that point, some people who are going to get some podcasts that are going to go on the network. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to be working with this filmmaker or this comedian. It was kind of like this unveiling an enormous undertaking, a marathon, 24 hours of content when you really hadn't launched any type of live streaming thing like that before. And you're a new company, just five months old. I think that it was an incredibly audacious challenge to take on. And because the show is good when it goes when it steers into the skid, it had the ability to get through any awkward moments and the awkward moments elevate it. I think the awkward moments are where it thrived, honestly. The things go wrong, it becomes part of it. But that's what you want because you're when you're trying to establish something like this, what better selling point than, hey, I want to hang out with these people for long periods of time. Like That's essentially a very winning business model. And I thought that I was just so impressed with how good it was, how long it captured my attention. And really when the smoke cleared, what an undertaking it was considering all the things that could have gone wrong that didn't. Yeah. And it had something for everyone. I, as a West coast guy, the moment for me was Jim Rome crossing over with the pirate ship. I, that was, you know, that was, I was just like, it was like two worlds colliding, two worlds. I love colliding, you know? And, um, totally surprised surprise too, you know, and, you know, as, as was written in the piece, you know, Pat Riley and Mike Schur coming on and, and I, you know, just, it's, there sort of was something for everyone. And uh, it was, uh, it was a fun watch because you could, you didn't have to watch the whole thing for 24. You could check in and there was always something going on, whether it was people arguing, whether it was a, a great guest whether it was them being like, are we really going to do going to be able to finish this? You know? And, and it sort of felt like they were just, they had like a rough outline and were just kind of going through it, but given what they were announcing and, and the launch of, of metal Lark and, and how big an event this was for them, I, I thought that they pulled it off in such a great way and, and uh, was entertaining throughout. 
Yeah, uh, there was almost a pepper-related casualty. I remember that became <laughs> content. Uh, although I will say, uh, the last thing on this is one of the great documents in history is going to be the show. The day after they did Freedom is just an all-timer. <laughs> I would I would highly recommend everybody going back and listening to it uh, just just as a moment of time. That was one of my favorite uh, pieces of content for the year for for anything actually. Our most versatile sports media member goes to ESPN's Mina Kimes. No surprise here. There was a late push by Pablo Torre to steal this one. Uh, public public lobbying <laughs> got kind of got kind of sad to be honest. But we love pitting two friends against each other to see who comes out on top. Yeah, I mean, you know, a conspiracy theorist could look at some of the decisions we made, and uh, much like when they seed the NCAA basketball tournament, and they say they don't uh play go for storylines yeah indiana versus kentucky in the in the one nine well they do and uh you know we're we're only human but mina kimes has turned nfl live into a huge just a huge dunk on everybody who didn't see her coming um she's unbelievable on the nfl coverage she's unbelievable on the pop culture stuff she does when she joins Bill Simmons, any show that she joins, she is such a, she elevates the process and she's the ultimate teammate on air. And she doesn't run away from the imperfections or who she is or her personality or anything. And she's so confident in it that it puts others at ease in a way that I think is really special. And we could go, through the long list uh, of things that she's done and ways that she impacts, you know, even when she joins, um, you know, she's on the new debatable show uh, that ESPN is trying to make a big social push for. And she does little things like that, has her own podcast, but always seems to be giving just a work, no matter the role she's into. So it made it fairly difficult to go against her in this one, despite some of the uh, the public pressure. Yeah, I, and look, the way she can bounce from serious analysis on NFL Live. I mean, she's fun on that show, but it's she 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 knows her stuff as well as anybody, as well as seasoned professionals, as well as guys who played the game. She is as knowledgeable as anybody on the NFL. But the way she can then bounce to, you know, uh, the now canceled, highly questionable, which is basically was comedy. You know, it was basically a comedy show, and and hang and be funny and be engaging. And then go to around the horn and out debate everybody on there. It just she, everything she does, she's so good at. And, and it's uh, it's one of those things where she keeps getting better. And it feels like she's become an invaluable member to ESPN. Like they, if, if they lost her, it feels like they would be losing a huge chunk, uh, a huge like cornerstone piece that makes a lot of their programming really, really good and, and elevates it, as we said in the piece. Everything she's on, and you you mentioned this too, everything she's on, she elevates it. She makes it better. And, you know, there are those moments where certain people are on certain shows and you feel like that's not really their avenue. They should be, you know, stick to kind of this area or something like that. That is not the case with her. She fits in everywhere and is excellent in everything she does. Best sports media reporter goes to Andrew Marshan of the New York Post, a repeat winner. It's it's difficult. This guy, it, it's shaping up to be a somewhat significant long running dynasty. 
because he's a real volume shooter and he is really established himself as the number one on this beat. And it's going to be extremely hard to supplant him. Uh, Kevin Draper of the New York times, I thought broke the biggest story of the year in the space with the Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor controversy. But I think on balance, what Marshan does with his news breaking late in the game here, the New York post sports moved to a pay model with Marshan at the center. And I think the argument could be made that he's the most valuable single writer for a niche topic like this, that's going to drive subscriptions because you almost need to see what he's doing if you're going to operate in the media space or if you're going to cover the media space. So I think that it was really smart. He also launched a podcast. So an even better year than he had last year. And I'm starting to get concerned that, uh, that he's going to be taking over everything at, at some point. It feels that way. Uh, just again, this, this one, there was some great work in this space this year, but it feels like this was a blowout. I just, I think that when we all got together and banged our heads together on this one, there was one name that came up. And um, so I, I really do think that, that he continues to dominate that space and had a, a, another great year. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when there's one person kind of, we have another award like that where it feels like there's one person just dominating that space and, and uh, everyone else is just fighting for second place. Yeah. It's kind of, it reminds me of the big 10 in, in that way. Uh, <laughs> big 10 alum here, proud Michigan fan at this time of year. Finally is our insider of the year, Adam Schefter of ESPN. And I think with Shefty, you just say, what a damn year uh, on the field and off it. He remains the preeminent NFL newsbreaker. If you don't count the people who work for the NFL, to me, that is uh, you get a slight advantage there. That seems like a slight leg up. So he's still doing it at a tremendous level. He moves the conversation in ways that maybe only Woj does. Yep. But I think the thing that put him over the top for us was just all the conversation that went around Adam Schefter this year. It was kind of shocking. Like for the last six months, we've been seeing his name all over the place for a whole host of reasons. Some maybe not great uh, to some people, but he's certainly in the conversation all the time in a way that, that has been unusual. And there's great speculation about what his next move is going to be. And that's going to continue to be a storyline because I think that it may inform what happens to sports media as a whole, as everybody uh, marries itself closer to gambling and daily fantasy sports content. Yeah. And, and I think this year, this is always a tough one because there's so many great insiders who produce great content um, and who get great scoops. And and we've seen the, the Woj shams wars for years in the NBA, what separated Schefter this year is you're right. There was some, some, he, he's in the conversation all the time, but he also grabbed the biggest story of the year, which was Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And not only did he have the story, he had all the details as it unfolded over a few months. And I, I just thought that was when we, when we really got down to it, that's what separated him. If you get the biggest story of the year, and he's, he's got every story of the NFL, it feels like and he, and I, it was, you know, Liam uh, McCune wrote the, wrote this blurb 
and made a great point. It's, you know, if he doesn't get the story first, he has the details a minute later that the original story didn't have. And it's, so it's a great point that he always comes in, not just with, Hey, this is happening, but this is happening. And here's the story behind it, uh, which makes him, I, I, you know, so invaluable to a fan or anybody in this business because you know, Schefter is going to have the details. And so it was an interesting year for him. Certainly, as you've said, he's, he's, he's taken more of a dive on social media to do some different things, some with success, some with not, but he's certainly been a huge part of the conversation this year. And I, I didn't, um, and I thought that it was when it came down to it, we, you know, and, and lining everybody up against each other. I thought he was, he was the winner. All right. Quick answer to a quick question. When it's all settled, do you think he stays in quote unquote traditional media, or do you think he goes to a gambling type of insider subscription service? I think it's gonna be really hard for him to walk around, walk away from the power he has with ESPN. I, I just think, he, I, I think that that's certainly an attractive option, but given, and I think the ESPN, if it's smart, will compensate him to the level that he needs, because I think he's invaluable to them, but I also think the brand and the exposure he gets from them I think it's a great pairing. So I, I'd be surprised if he left, but I certainly know those whispers are out there. I tend to agree. Oi! Best podcast. Barstool's pardon my take wins for yet another year. And here's all I'll say about those guys. They like to have fun. And we all know that they like to have fun, but their output is really incredible. And not just on the podcast side. I'm talking about Big Cat and PFT commenter. In addition to having the number one sports podcast in the world. They, For years now. <laughs> yeah, they are personalities larger at their own company. They're enormously recognizable. You can make the argument that there's some of the most popular and powerful people under 40 in the industry. Uh, maybe number one for Dan. Uh we could yeah, that. certainly, uh, but anyway, I think that what really sets them apart is that their relationship with the audience, they've cultivated it in a way that, uh, is really unusual. And is know, there a more loyal audience? I mean, I can't think of one. No, I don't think that there's a more loyal audience than Barstool's audience. I think that we've, we've seen that and that can have a negative connotation, but I think in this certain one, with pardon my take is there's a tremendous amount of people I think are fans of just that podcast who aren't fans of Barstool as a whole. And I think on their side, they would argue that that's kind of the point. Like if you don't like one of the things that we do follow something else that we do, I think that that would probably be their thinking on it. But I think that they're a standalone brand at, at this point and the show is good and funny and if you want to consider podcast as a significant medium that's on par with streaming or television, then they're a much bigger part of like the zeitgeist than anybody's really giving them credit for. And I think that's tremendously impressive watching how they've grown that in a few, like not a few short years, but they got there quickly and they've maintained that level, if not gone up, which suggests great things for the future and, and really is impressive on balance already. Yeah. And I would say 
what's interesting about them is not only like they're goofy and they're funny and they have a good time, but in it hidden in that is they're actually pretty good interviewers and they get really good stuff. And, and I don't know if it's that they're uh, guests know coming on that, Hey, this is going to be a different interview. And so they're maybe more relaxed or maybe more heightened. I don't know how they feel, but you get, they get stuff out of people and, and, it's it, it, they are really good interviewers and and i think that's a skill that develops and they've certainly developed that and they have the interviews are fun and they're definitely unique and different than anybody else's so i think that that in the end is not it's not just that it's funny it's not just that they have such a great connection with their audience it's also that they're good at what they do and and i think that gets lost sometimes in the in the in the fun of what they do they're also really good at it and really talented at what they do and so both of those guys i mean there's a reason why they're number one year after year after year in this category best radio show a former barstool guy himself in pat mcafee of the pat mcafee show and this is something that we have seen coming for a while we've seen that win expectancy percentage go down a little bit for the other team as his goes up and he finally got there he got to 100% and his team down there ragtag group of misfits in middle america god bless you there's something that resonates deeply with me when it comes to that but this show is so reliant on pat's unbelievable energy he has such an appetite to do a bunch of different things and captivate and entertain i mean from wrestling to football to his show like this dude is special in terms of having a charisma that people are like, okay, I don't find this level of energy annoying. I might not like when with someone who was a little bit worse at it or didn't know how to properly calibrate things, it could be a turnoff. But I think that Pat always knows the line to walk. The biggest thing for him too this year didn't intend for it to happen. He was one of the few people who maintained an open and public line with Aaron Rodgers. He secured those interviews. And the one where Rodgers spoke about Joe Rogan, I think was the radio interview of the year, clearly. And that only happens on Pat's show. Like you mentioned, there's a specific vibe that he built up on Tuesdays with Aaron. And we got some real unvarnished commentary that drove the sports media conversation for a long time. And that was the product of McAfee creating an atmosphere where something like that can happen. Well, you're having fun and don't even notice that you're kind of involved in something that has bigger tentacles to other areas of the sporting world. If this was the, that Aaron Rodgers interview where he talked about Joe Rogan was a microcosm of what McAfee does so well. He just let Rogers talk and so much came out that, and and the whole time you're kind of looking at McAfee, he's kind of like, is he saying this? You know, but what I would say about what Pat can do is he disarms people with his energy and the the comedy aspect of the show because those guys are hilarious. But then he's also it's almost like they're relaxed and he gets things out of people that other people don't. And and there's something about that. And he has you know regular guests who come on who unload stuff on his show more than they do other shows. And, and I don't know what it is about that, but he is excellent at that. I think it's become just a vital piece of the daily sports media landscape. hundred percent. I think it's become vital. We pull interviews from him all the time and content from him all the time because he's constantly doing something new and getting something out of people that, that other people don't while also having a blast. And, and that's the thing is I feel like 
he asks questions that he wants to know the answer to because he feels like, you know, that's what's interesting. And so they're constantly doing what they find interesting, what they find funny. It doesn't feel like they're ever doing anything to serve somebody else. And it's a really unique show when you look at the other shows that it's up against. It's very unique because the other ones are sort of formulaic radio shows where his is a YouTube broadcast that gets put on Sirius XM. And it was when they talked about it yesterday, they were saying, you know, some people were saying, oh, is that really a radio show? Yeah, it is. It's on the radio. And, and I think that it was the most interesting, certainly this year. And I thought it was like, I think last year we talked about that show as maybe being when we were discussing radio show of the year. I, I think that we all were sort of like, we got to keep an eye on this one because of what he's doing. And this year, I thought it was, it, it was great competition this year, but I thought when we sort of lined them up against each other, it was clear that he had the most remarkable year in radio. Someone else to keep an eye on is our sports writer of the year, Tyler Tynes. Tynes initially made waves at the ringer and then left and landed at GQ. And upon going there, he went on, he went on just an insane run with pieces on Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards, Scotty Pippen, revealing chock full of the type of juicy quotes that everybody loves chock full of controversy. The man can paint a picture and he does it with the words of his interviewee. Like we were talking about with McAfee and and pardon my take, got people to say really interesting things, identify them as interesting and let those voices kind of drive the pieces, which is an interesting way to go about writing. It's not the most look at me. It's not interjecting yourself as much into it. It's just a really good observation of what a person is about using as much source material as you can from out of their mouth and then painting around that to present an image and a vibe. And when he was on this run, we, I remember being in, in Slack being like, well, what's happening here? Like, are you guys, you guys see this because it would just be boom, 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 boom. This is incredible. That's incredible. That's incredible. And it's like so fantastic. And I think that he obviously is thriving in a new environment. And I'm really excited to see what Tynes is going to do the rest of his career because it's so bright and he's really discovered a formula that works for him. And it was really awesome to honor honor him with this award. Yeah, this year for him was like Barry Bonds in 2001. It's like another one? Like, you know, like it's every time you tune in, it's it's another one. And, and uh, you're right. I, I think that what was really interesting is when he was doing those uh, those pieces, I would see a headline like Ben Simmons said this, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, who got that out of, oh, it's Tyler Tynes. Okay. Anthony Edwards, th- this is a really interesting piece where he talks about this. I'd be like, well, who got that out of, oh, it was, it was Tyler Tynes. The Scotty Pippen one was a huge one. And, and almost by that one, I was like, oh, he, he talked to Tyler, didn't he? And so I, I think that he's certainly on the rise already is one of the best sports writers out there and uh, had, a, had not only had a phenomenal year, but overall, if you had to rank them, he's got he's he's very high on that list of just the, the most talented sports writers out there and rising. And uh, it was a great year for him. And, and I think that as we wrote, I think even bigger things are down the road for him because I think people, given the pieces he put out, people are going to be more likely to want to talk to him too. So he's going to get even better 
uh, uh, content down the road, but I thought, I thought he had a great year and it was, you know, there was great competition again in this category and we nominated Jeff Passan, uh, Seth Wickersham, Christine Brennan, all of whom would have been worthy winners, but t- what Tyler was able to do this year, I think elevated him. Definitely the most enthusiastic in accepting his award. And we love that. And that's what it's all about. If, uh, you know, if it brightened the day uh, of someone who was like, Hey, is this, is this whole job thing worth it? And then, uh, you know, you see your name on, on a graphic, uh, someone tags you a few times and then maybe you, you give it a courtesy RT and you know what, that's, that's, uh, that's as good as it gets. So that's the service we like to provide as the big lead newcomer of the year is Akib Talib, who has been a fresh voice on Fox's NFL coverage. They experimented with him a few times last year, I believe um, in the booth. And it was very exciting. Uh, Immediately everybody recognized that he brings something to the game that is much needed in its energy and it's the realness and it's the perspective of being on the field and you don't sound like you're removed and stoic and just describing from 300 yards away. He really has that passion and in his voice as someone who played the game before whose whole approach is, you know what, I'm just going to be me and the viewers are going to ride with me on it because I'm going to be so good at being me that they're going to stop noticing um, and, and just enjoy what's going on. And I think that really announced his presence very loudly. Um, and, and it's been awesome to see and, and know that he's only going to grow as a broadcaster in the years coming forward. Yeah. I, I, he's just so unique. And, and I think that it, it was written in the piece. He's, it's just fresh. It's different. And, and he's just himself. And, and it is just going to be who he is. It's, it's, it's different. And, you know, he doesn't have that rote cadence that, that guys have, you know, that, that is, you know, just sort of cookie cutter analyst. He's different. And, and I think that was what was so interesting because when he's doing a game on your television, you know, it's a kid to leave. Like you just know it's different and you gotta, you gotta recognize who's doing that game and, 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 you know, why it's important. And, and he, uh, certainly has, has only gotten better, I think over the past year. And, and, uh, it was, he's also, you know, joined, uh, the, he's going to have his own pot. He's has his own podcast on, on cowherds network, and he's just got a lot going on. And I think that people recognized very quickly, oh, this is somebody to watch. And this is somebody to, to, you know, make sure we're engaging with his content and great year for him. And, and obviously, you know, burst onto the scene and, and looks like he's going to be here to stay for a while. Three more awards are left. We'll knock out one of those with best play-by-play announcer, Joe Buck of Fox. <clears throat> of, oh God, hold on. This is you all right? I think what it's going to be over an hour. All right. No big deal. It's been fun. Time I edit out me. It's like <clears throat> where you're talking and you can feel like one side of yeah. like, like one, like speck, one little dot, like 
a node goes out and you're just like, what, what's happening? I can literally feel that as you're doing it because yeah. I know exactly what it is. <clears throat> it's like on, usually for me, it's usually on my like left side right here. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, what, what's happening? Joe Buck had once again, a spectacular October where he covered the NFL. He covered playoff baseball. He did both with excellence, prestige and ultimate comfort. I think when Joe Buck is at the mic. I've never heard anybody more comfortable and confident behind it. And he's willing to go in any direction. He's willing to be funny. He can be serious. He will pass the ball to his teammate. I don't even really want to get into the backlash that Buck gets and how misguided it is that one of the all-time greats is underappreciated just because people are stubborn and don't understand the degree of difficulty or how special everything he's doing out there is. But I would just say that we're going to look up at the end of uh, the run here and be like, considering that he did the NFL for that long and the World Series for that long, like this is a Mount Rushmore announcer in history. And if you'd stop and enjoy just how comfortable and, and warm you feel in a, in, a, in a buck broadcast, if you just let him do his job, it's really spectacular. Yeah, it, I there is nobody more consistent than Joe Buck and nobody more at ease in huge moments. And and he just he has a murderer's row of great calls over the years in huge moments, and he just delivers them so calmly. I again I thought this was a fierce competition for this award. Ian Eagle, Brian Anderson, Brian Anderson's phenomenal. Kevin Harlan, always among the best. Ian Eagle, Ian Eagle won it last year. You know, I, I just think that it, there was something about Buck this year that, again, just elevated him to another. And, and people don't give him credit for being really funny and, and just at ease in his skin. Regardless, he knows that there is backlash against him and people, you know, there's, there's so many people that that say he's terrible or whatever. He's not. I mean, that's it's, it's, it's garbage that people believe that. But at the same time, he's aware of that. And he's just him. He just he doesn't try and alter what he does to, to please anybody. He just is him and and himself. And, and yeah, the ability to to effortlessly bounce between baseball and the NFL in the middle of that, it's so impressive. He does it every year. And uh, it's just, you know, I think he's a guy who uh, people don't appreciate enough what he's able to do and the ease at which he's able to do it. Our best game analyst award went to Jeff Van Gundy of ESPN and there ain't nothing wrong with a little Van Gundy. That's what I always say. My mom told me that growing up, which was kind of weird, uh, but you know what? She was right. He is really, I, I think that he was an early adopter into treating a game like a podcast and going in whatever direction they wanted to and going there wryly and kind of like sarcastically not afraid to be funny, not afraid to be cantankerous, not afraid to give it back to Mark Jackson, not afraid to point out how he disagreed with Mike Breen on something. He's just willing to be Jeff Van Gundy on TV. And you get the sense that when I, I get the sense when I listen to him, like he doesn't even know that the game's being broadcast. He <laughs> is the best at just sitting there. And it seems like he's just watching a game with his friends. And 
participating in a conversation that a high level basketball mind would have if at the game as a fan, it's the hardest skill to master and he's dynamite and dynamic at doing it. Yeah, he is a, another guy who's very unique in what he does. And you're right about the podcast element of it. It just feels like he's stream of consciousness so much and it's not uh, cookie cutter. It's not, this is, we have to follow these rules. There are no rules with Jeff Van Gundy. And uh, I think that that's maddening sometimes, but at the same time, it's there are these moments of absolute brilliance on the air. Um, he's very unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to say. You don't know what's going to upset him and set him off that he's going to talk about for seven minutes. That may be a small thing in a game that he keeps coming back to, but he definitely makes broadcast better. I mean, there's something about his style that fits so well with, with Mike Breen and Mark Jackson as well, who are both more, you know, in their boxes and, and, you know, Breen is a, a excellent, but classic announcer. Mark Jackson sort of seems to follow a lot of the rules for an analyst and Jeff Van Gundy's the wild card and he creates conflict on those broadcasts, but also comedy. And, and so it's, it's an interesting balance. You never know what you're going to get. And it's uh, he's just, I think we appreciated him this year a lot for what he did. Um, and, and he's, he's been doing it really well for a long time. I think it's, you look up and he's been, been broadcasting for for years and and establishing that voice for years and it, it's you know it, it's really worked out it's a perfect uh perfect fit on those broadcasts we, we finally reached the biggest prize the most glamorous trophy the sports media personality of the year let's talk about the candidates first before we announce the winner first mike greenberg who continued to be on espn every waking moment Radio, Get Up, which can go down as one of the most important to ESPN in terms of refocusing what studio shows were going to be. Then additionally, the move to NBA Countdown, an incredible year for Greenberg as uh, we, oh, and I didn't even mention the NFL draft. He yeah. did the NFL draft. So think about someone where I just remembered that, oh yeah, this was the lead voice on the NFL draft. Pretty amazing everything that he was able to do. Stephen A. Smith, again, like Greenberg, they're trying to build the whole plane out of him. He's the biggest voice. He's the most social shareable. What he says resonates in a way he can entertain like few others. He only made more money this year. He only <laughs> to the locus of what the company wants to do going forward. Then finally, Dan Lebetard, who we mentioned, leaving ESPN to go do his own thing with Meadowlark, building that up, getting that going again, doing it in a way that was uniquely him, doing it publicly, a little bit soap opera-y, but allowing his audience to go behind the scenes and see what was really going on, teaming with John Skipper, suggesting there could be really big things coming for them and amassing a pretty significant group of talent early on that I think is only going to grow. The DraftKings deal, $50 million, unprecedented in the media landscape. Those are those who fell just short. Ryan, why don't you go through and just tell me a couple thoughts that you have on each of those before we get to the ultimate winner of this award. 
Yeah, I think with Dan Levitard, you look at what he's done this year, just bold. I mean, it's just a bold move to 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 leave ESPN and to go and create his own thing. And and that, you know, there's so much potential for what Meadowlark could be. And I think that's, you know, obviously he had the the freedom event was the best event of the year, uh, as as we mentioned earlier. Uh, and just being able to broadcast and do his own thing now. Like it feels like he doesn't have shackles on him that he had before. And I thought he was bold and interesting. And I thought this year revealed just how impactful he is and how many people he has uh, supporting him. Uh, Stephen A. Smith legitimately every day makes news. Every single day he is doing something. And he is the most important media figure, I think, at ESPN. Uh, The most important potentially media figure in all of sports media, it, when you, when you look at, you know, sort of the last five years or so. And then Mike Greenberg, again, just had a huge year with, with get up his radio show and hosting the draft. And it just seems like his profile continues to rise everywhere across ESPN. And so I thought all three of those guys had incredible years and could have, you know, there's certainly debates that, that any of those three could have, could have taken home this award. Our fourth nominee and ultimate winner was Maria Taylor. And this was a decision that was made, like I said, at the outside of this podcast about capturing what went on in sports media that year. And to me, I firmly believe that the Maria Taylor thing was the biggest thing to happen. It was somewhat shocking. It was something that was rumored to be going on for a while. You knew there was some sort of friction and strife in that department uh, that was pushed forward and really made more public to the, to the world broken. The story broken by Kevin Draper, I believe it was on the 4th of July came after Marshan reported that there was a salary impasse. Uh, Something didn't really add up. You knew that there was going to be a collision course to this relationship ending. And then it, for it to end in a way uh, that was so public that captured interest from even outside the sporting sphere and landscape made it at the top of at least significance of what was going on. It spurred, lar- it spurred larger conversations about weightier, more important issues. The thing that we wanted to focus on as well as the significance of the story was the way that Taylor conducted herself as it was going on. And that was largely to stay out of it completely, not to say anything. There was great drama. I don't know if you remember that if the NBA finals went past a certain game five or game six, whatever it was, her contract would run out and ESPN would have to figure out what they were going to do uh, if she ultimately decided to leave, which she did for NBC. But she did it in a way that was outside the press and allowed her to move on from what was a really difficult and, in my opinion, extremely unfair situation uh, to brighter pastures and and a place where she could do a lot of different things. And I think NBC has significant plans for her, uh, both in sports, potentially news, sky's the limit for her over there. Ultimately, she's still in a great place. It was impressive to watch the way that she handled herself when she shouldn't have been asked to to do all that stuff and jump all those 
through hoops for people uh, in, in a very raw way. So I think that this award was born out of two things. The way it captured everybody's attention and also the way that she was able to navigate through it and then after it. Well, if you look at purely sports media stories, she was involved, in my opinion, the two biggest this year. The one, the Rachel Nichols incident that, that you know, everybody has detailed over time and it's not worth rehashing. Uh, the second was the battle for her services. I mean, she's one of the brightest young stars, brightest stars, period, in sports media and has, as you said, just sky's the limit for her potential. And there was essentially a bidding war. She'd been at ESPN for eight years and clearly wanted to do something else. But NBC Sports offered her a chance to do way more than she was doing. I mean, she, she they, they hired her. She's immediately at the Summer Olympics hosting and contributing. She's on Football Night in America. And she's going to be a, one of the main parts of their Super Bowl coverage. And that's a few months into just being there. And so I think that, that the, the, the bidding war for her, as well as the Rachel Nichols story, two of the biggest stories in sports media this year, period. Um, then you look at just her talent. I mean, she is an incredible talent. She's been developing for years. She's always been really good, uh, but she's consistently gotten better. And, you know, leading ESPN's NBA finals coverage, even though they were in a contact, contract dispute for you, for her, they weren't just doing that. I mean, there was a good chance she was going to leave and they still had her on there. Not because, you know, they're trying to give her a fond farewell. It's because the coverage was better with her on it. And so I think when you look at all that, and then again, as you said, the way she handled herself, she did not sling mud. She did not get into the, into the dirt on this one. She did not, you know, talk to the press. She, she just continued to do her job and focus on what was in front of her. And I thought that was really impressive. And I think that, that this year is just a sign of things to come for her. I think she's going to be a huge star moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's every year is different based on what goes down. Uh, you look at some of our past winners and usually there is some level of, usually there's some level of controversy or significant uh, reaction to something that they've done. Uh, that that goes with it. And this was just one of those years that we ultimately decided that Taylor was the personality in a way that these other three weren't. But again, if we had to shape who had the most significant front-facing year in sports, it's these four. And I feel really good about identifying that in terms of like what was 2001 about through that lens. And 2021, 2021 was (laughs) through that lens. And I can't wait to see what 2022 brings with it. Ryan, any closing thoughts on the list? I know that this was a lot to tick through, uh, but what would be your summation about uh, a year long project as we close this hour long podcast? Well, it feels like I've got three weeks until I have to start working on next year's, but no, uh, look, it's, uh, I want to just point out that everybody at the big lead worked really hard on this and, uh, everybody contributed to it. My name was on it because I led the project, but it, you know, there's equal participation from everybody. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do, uh, at the same time, you know, as I said, as Kyle said, we, we weren't losing sleep over this, but it, we do take it seriously and, and we want to do the best job we can with it. And, uh, 
congratulations to those who won and, and to those who were nominated because you all had fantastic years that certainly impacted us. And, and that's the, the, the lens through which we view it is, is how much, you know, these people standing out to us. And um, yeah, it's uh, it was a, it was a really fun year to do it. Uh, I thought it was, you know, last year, everybody was really innovative in the way they created content with, with quarantines and lockdowns. And it felt like this year was just more of a return to normal. And so sometimes, you know, when people have been so innovative one year, you think that, oh, maybe there'll be a step back. And I thought it was a step up this year. I thought everybody, you know, across the board did such great work this year. And I thought it was a great year for sports media. What a positive way to end this. I'm Kyle Coster. This has been my show. That has been Ryan Phillips. Keep checking out The Big Lead. Listen to our other podcast if you want. Uh, and to those of you who didn't win, better luck next year. Rest assured that we are going to try to get it as right as humanly possible, even if it is literally impossible. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.